Hello, my friends. Today's episode is different from the norm. This is an interview episode with my longtime friend, Chuck Bergman. For Halloween, I wanted to release something a little different. This episode gets into the thick of the afterlife and hopefully answers questions that you have had for some time. I am not becoming an interview show, but getting a chance to sit down with Chuck and have this conversation was one I couldn't pass up. Whether you are a skeptic or a longtime believer in psychics, I hope this interview with Chuck can broaden your perspective. Chuck is available for phone and in-person readings, and you can book a session with him at chuckbergman.com. Chicken Mind Nuggets will resume normal micro-podcasting episodes in November. Now, without further ado, I would like to introduce this interview with Chuck Bergman. Chuck was born in Jacksonville, Florida, and is a third-generation psychic medium, following his mother and grandmother. He realized his gifts at an early age, but kept it under wraps for years. Chuck went on to serve in the United States Navy for four years overseas, and during the Vietnam War, where he was assigned to special ops and radar operations on aircraft carriers Shangri-La and the John F. Kennedy. After the military, he served 32 years as a motorcycle police officer, patrol officer, computer and media specialist, and accident reconstructionist in Salem, Massachusetts. Since retirement and going public as a psychic medium, the A&E Channel and the Biography Channel have featured Chuck in his own pilot program, Psychic Search. Chuck has also been a repeat guest on many live radio shows, including Coast to Coast AM, where Chuck and I met and began our friendship over 10 years ago. In addition to regularly holding sessions and giving readings as a medium, Chuck has helped numerous police departments around the world locate missing persons, solve murder cases, and assist several law enforcement agencies across the country and internationally with ongoing investigations. He regularly holds group and private sessions in Middleburg, Florida, and does phone readings with clients worldwide via Skype. Chuck is passionate about educating people on the concept of life continuing after so-called death. He has also completed classes in meditation techniques, psychic mediumship, advanced mediumship, and Reiki. James von Prague, the world-renowned psychic medium, teacher, and co-producer of the CBS drama The Ghost Whisperer, highly recommends Chuck for psychic mediumship readings and lists Chuck on his website. Chuck co-authored the book The Everything Guide to Evidence of the Afterlife, published in 2011, and wrote his autobiography, Psychic Cop, published in 2012. What a mouthful. Thank you for coming on my show, Chuck. Oh, what an introduction. Thank you, wifey. I'll, uh, it's making me understand why I haven't had a vacation in 20 years. <laughs> How would I have time with that kind of a, an activity going on? How do you have time to do my program with all of this activity going on? I'm really grateful, I stopped though. everything. I cleared my desk. I really appreciate you being on my show. I know that this differs from the normal mind nuggets that my audience is used to, but I think that what you have to bring to the table is so amazingly valuable that any any way to get your message out and your work out is, is just important. It's important for the times that we're in. It's important for giving people a sense of optimism to look forward to, especially when connecting to their loved ones and to hear what, you know, what they have to say and what loving messages that you have to convey. So what you're doing is really needed now more than ever. 
Well, thank you. And I think you, you've got a good handle on what's happening with all of it. And I know losing a loved one is the hardest thing to um, survive because you may or may not get over it. We all do it at a different rate. And you have to, uh, the more you know, and personally, if you know that they're okay and you get proof of that, it really does take away a lot of the hurt. And something people don't realize is not only is it helping you, but it's helping the your loved one on the other side who is probably trying to get to you in every way possible but can't break the barrier and they don't know how to con connect with you or you think you hear their voice, but you think it's your imagination. Things like that are happening. And I know how they are on the other side. They, they say it all the time that they're so relieved that they finally got their message to people that are still here. So it's, I think it's a two-way street. So Chuck, I have a bunch of questions for you. And even though we had read your bio, I would love for you to tell us a little more about yourself, your background, your time as a cop, and how you transitioned into being a psychic. Wow, very, uh, I could write a book on just that part of my life. I look back and wonder how everything unfolded the way it did. And I have to admit, I, I really strongly feel that it wasn't things that I made happen. I think these were things that were pre-planned, and they turned out just the way they were supposed to. So it's kind of odd the way I would get messages, even as a little boy. When I did the uh, the missing person that turned out to be a murder, when I did that one case for A&E, um, before it even happened, I started receiving messages about this young man who had been uh, missing for six years. And by missing, they didn't know if he was dead or alive. But yet I would hear different things about him. And the day before shooting, I actually saw him as a as an apparition. And he woke me up at four o'clock in the morning and told me all about the murder that happened to him. So I think I, the phrase, things happen for a reason and everything is planned, that is so accurate. And I really do live by that. So he woke you up at four in the morning. He was trying to get through to you for you to convey the message about what happened to him. Absolutely. And it was, it was really amazing. You know, I, um, I was in the house alone, sound asleep, and I had that feeling that someone was standing next to my bed looking at me. And I woke up, you know, like I say, around four o'clock in the morning. And there was this heavy set guy with, with a beard and, he had an outdoor, that red flannel jacket that you see so often. <clears throat> Usually hunters wear these. And he's just like leaning over, looking down at me. And I didn't panic. That was the weird thing. I didn't scream like a little girl and run out of the bedroom. Instead, I uh, I just calmly looked at him and said, who are you here? Who are you and why are you here? And he said, I was murdered by my best friend. I'm going to help you out in the morning. And then he turned around to leave my bedroom and he could have walked out, you know, the door and through the hallway and everything. But I think to show off, he just gently started walking through the wall, you know, and, and leaving. And I said, wait a minute. I said, what I'm seeing all mud and clay on the back of your head and on, on your back. Why am I seeing that? And he said, it has to do with the area where I was murdered. I was, pulled through a swampy area, put in the back of a pickup truck, and then taken away from the area where I was murdered. 
So he was giving me clues at four o'clock in the morning that really helped me out at 10 o'clock in the morning when I was with the family and police detectives and, and all of that stuff. But let's say put yourself back into being a police officer and you having these experiences where they're coming to you and saying, this is where I'm buried. This is how I died. We've already said that you've had to kind of keep that hidden for a while as a police officer. As a psychic, it's now more understandable for you to approach law enforcement and or the friends and family of the loved one who's deceased and say, this is the messages that I got. And this is where they're buried. This is what we have to go. This is what we have to do. This is the direction we have to go. But how did that work when you were a cop? Were you taken seriously? Were you, is it something that you ever brought up? Or did you use that as sort of a, as as they call it, and I hate to say it, but um, uh, what do they call it? A hunch, you know, when you see on the cop dramas, oh, I had a hunch. I had to go look over in this room. I had to go do that. Did you ever use that technique? Or how did that work for you then? I believe the uh, being on the police department and with that part of, you know, how I've developed with with the mediumship world, I believe it was like a practice ground for me. And by that, I mean, every police officer does it. We'll just say you do a simple traffic stop. You're automatically sizing people up. You're listening very carefully to every word that they say. You're looking for clues. You know, that's what police are doing. Uh, that's why they're so very good at you tell them one thing and then two minutes later you're telling a different story. Well, they're going to pick up on it because over time they're, they're automatically trained to listen to their intuition, their gut, and also listen to the uh, actual things happening around you. But the difference between a normal person and a police officer, a police officer's life pretty well depends on him being psychic or tuning into his intuitive side. And the cool part is you get to learn from your mistakes. You may walk up to a car and go, I've got a feeling they put a gun under the front seat or the passenger side or back seat or whatever. And the cool part is a little bit later, you get to find out, was that hunch or feeling correct? Because you're going to search the car. You're going to come up with a, a legal reason that you can search the car. And then when bingo, there it is just exactly where you thought it was. It helps you later to recognize that feeling again and with another situation and say, hey, I had this feeling before and it turned out to be true, so I'm going to pay attention to it. So I think by default, a lot of cops are, are turning into psychics to a point, and I think it's very critical to their survival. In these times, I think that people want more of a defined line between a cop acting on a hunch from their years of knowledge and a cop acting on something taken more at face value, if that makes sense. And, you know, without getting into the uh, culture and politicalness of what's happening with law enforcement and the views on them, when you were back in law enforcement and you were acting on um, these hunches, were you able to share them with fellow members of your police unit? Were you able to say, you know, this happened before and this is a similar situation? I think that we need to look here. Or were there, was there a lot that you kept more to yourself because you were still trying to figure out what exactly was happening in, within your transition from cop to psychic? I'll take B, number two, that you just gave because <laughs> it was that's really the way it went down. I, I 
I would have things happen and I, I would even see like car accidents five minutes before they would happen and start driving toward that area going, I know what I saw. I know the area. I know the feeling. I'm not going to race to it with lights and siren and everything, but I will. I'm going to head in that direction. So when I get the call, I'm ready for it. And I would say that proved to be about 99% real. It, it just kept happening. But what it was developing inside me was that ability to start trusting when I would see these images pop up. And when I say pop up, I think that we all have, um, one of the things I like to do with people is say, all right, you own a car, where is it right now? And when I ask a person that question, then I follow it up with, what did you see? Did you see it parked in your driveway? Did you see the color of the car? Did you see just enough of the image of your car that you know where it's parked and you knew how to answer me? Because that's kind of what psychic ability is all about. It's not always clearly defined. It's half image and the other half is feeling. So you got to kind of learn how to work with the two. And even right now, when I, you, you know, we were talking earlier how you heard me on, on a national radio show, as soon as I say those words, you probably get a little image in your head, but it's not an image of, you know, me in the studio or, or you doing what you were doing. You get just enough of an image that you can remember back in the day when you heard me on the radio. And when you can start piecing all of that together and realize this is the type of communication with the spirit world that we have to work with, this is what they're going to give us, and this is the best they can do, then you learn how to develop it and make the best of what they're giving. And I, I still find fault with some of the delivery of what they're giving. I would love it if every spirit would come through and say, hey, this is my name, this is, uh, this is my age, this is the color of my hair, and they don't. They just don't do it. So I, I figure we have to do it by their rules, not our rules, and whatever they give, we have to appreciate it and applaud them for even being able to do it. A lot of us can't hear what they have to say. We kind of feel like they go to the afterlife and that's it. Then we're left here alone. And then there's people like you who can hear them, who it, they, they have you to be able to reach out to and for you to give the messages back to us. So when you started going more with this intuition and transitioning out of a cop and into being a full-time psychic, what was that transition like for you and your family? At the time, my wife wasn't too keen on it. She she had her own agenda. That's all I can say. She, you know, she had her friends at work and they had their partying and all the different things that they were doing and kind of didn't have time for what Chuck was doing. And they heard a little bit about it. They were impressed with it, but that, that was it. And I don't want to put anyone down and I'm, that's not why I'm here today to do that. But I, I will say that if you give me my choice, do I want to be in front of a group and enjoy the excitement of a group reading and all the, uh, the amazing stuff that will come through and then the, reactions of the people in the audience or would I want to sit up at a bar and have four or five drinks listening to people talk about a guy running with a football and how many points he's gotten over his lifetime and look at his uniform and you know I, I see that as two different worlds I, I I like what I'm doing I guess that's what I'm that's what uh, I've been that way for many many years with the spirit world it's it's to me better than anything we could talk about here. 
What is a day like in the life of Chuck? It's, um, I've reached a point where I don't have to defend it. And I, I think that's what it's all about for me. Whether I go out in public where people have either seen me on local TV or some of the other shows I've done, or even heard stories about cases I've done for the family and friends of theirs, you know, uh, whether I'm in the supermarket, people might say, hi, Chuck, how are you? And I wonder, well, I don't know this person. How do they know me? But you just say hi right back to them. And, you know, you, I'm certainly friendly with everyone. But it's a lot different because people on the police department were very cynical when they learned that I was doing this. And the, the, the way I like to tell the, that part of the story is I started opening up and doing readings for, you know, people that wanted to come to my home and, and uh, have an experience with it. But it was good training for me. But they all said the same thing when they came in. They said, I really need to hear from my mom or my dad or my brother or whatever. But listen, don't tell any of the other guys that I came here. <laughs> don't tell them I don't tell them I had a reading, you know. They didn't want to succumb to what you know what I was doing, you know, and I kind of got used to that. And I would say, okay. And some of the readings were really, really amazing. And you know, there was one in particular where I, I gave a reading to a certain person. And I don't want to identify them through this, but very touching, very emotional, probably one of the highlight readings of my whole lifetime. And the person was there with his wife. Everything was super, super accurate and startled all of us. So, you know, the, the stuff that the uh, person in spirit was able to talk about. But then later, another person that I was really close to that I gave a reading to when her dad died came back to tell me that she overheard this person making fun of me and saying that the chief was going to buy a purple uniform for me with a pointed hat on it and have me go around the city and look for all the stolen cars. So, yeah, so that's what this person was doing behind my back, even though if I could give out the details of that session, you, you would just shake your head and say, no way. It was an amazing, amazing reading. And that was early on. And it was a special reading, too. So when when the friend of mine came back and said, wow, you won't believe what this guy is saying about he's telling people that he went to your home for a reading and basically saying it was bogus when it was like amazing. It really was. I put it right up there with the best of the best that I've done. To me, it sounds like he was really into the session, but then had to come up with some sort of comedic front because he was defending his macho-ness. I hope that makes sense. I don't it, know. It makes, you know, you, you, you always seem to nail it. You, you get it. Uh, right on the money when you look at the overall picture. And that's what it was all about. And I knew that at the time. I thought, well, he doesn't want to admit. But, you know, I got to say, if I didn't believe in this stuff at all, and I went to Wifey and had a reading, and you connected with my mom or my dad or someone like that, I'm the type of guy that if someone else was mocking you or whatever, I think I'd have to punch them out. That's the only way I'd feel good about myself is defending you and proving that, hey, you did it for me. You were able to connect to the other side. Now, why would I, why would I let someone else walk all over you? I wouldn't do that. You also have integrity. You know, you're, you're someone who wants to treat people well, especially when they treat you well. And it sounded like the person that you helped out didn't have that character built into them. So I'm really sorry that you went through that. That there's no reason there, there there's no reason you should have been th gone through that at all. You know, him making 
any sort of a mockery, especially with how much that you helped him out. It, it just screams bad karma coming his way. You know, it really does. And I, I went through it recently where someone made a comment on, it was on Facebook about mediums being frauds. And the person making the comment was one of a ghost, what do they call them? Like you see them on, them on TV all the time with all their equipment, their, v, their meters and K2 sensors and all these different things, which I've partaked in with one or two groups in the area more than once. And it was intriguing to watch, you know, the activity on the meters and stuff that they would get. Um, and I'm not here to tell those stories, but my point is I would, I would read the things until I finally had enough one day about her saying bad things about psychic mediums when I know people reading that who could use help from a medium are going to turn it down thinking that, you know, they're all frauds. So I got a hold of this person and I, I gave them a one minute audio clip and it's okay for me to say it. I may have given you the clip at one point where it's the wife of a state trooper and yeah, and I, I, I think that one has a lot to say in it because during the reading, which was recorded, I asked her if there was a clock or a watch that's not working. And she said, yes, my husband's watch, her husband had died in a, during a high speed chase as a state trooper. Um, she had her husband's watch, wanted to give it to her son, but it's not working. It needs a new battery. And she was planning on doing it that week. And then I gave a time, and it's safe to say the time, the time was 10.15. I said, he's showing me the face, and I'm seeing 10.15, but I'm feeling like that time is very important. And she said, is he showing you that? And I went, yes, he is. And then she said, well, that's his badge number. Oh, my God, I remember so that, yeah. You remember that? And it was very like, whoa. Uh, so when I gave it to this person who was challenging mediums, uh, and I let her listen to it. She said, well, that's easy to debunk. You could easily do a Google on this guy and get his badge number. So I emailed her back and said, well, okay, if I did that, how do I get a hold of the watch and set it for 1015? How do I do that? You know, do I, and I'm in Florida, she's up north somewhere. And I said, that's not making sense that I, I would go to all that trouble to do that just to make her think that I can connect with people that have passed over. And it's not only the um, that one-minute statement. You know, she had over an hour's worth of time where we heard different stories from her husband. So it, it's just sad, people out there. It depends on who you listen to, what story, you know, you're going to be told. I, I understand a, a skeptical mindset because I think having a skeptical mindset is healthy. I think being overly skeptical you know, can lead to over analysis. But when it comes to being skeptical and then bashing something you've either never tried or don't have enough information on, that can get to being harmful and almost trolling. You know, she's just going online saying, this isn't real. This isn't that. This isn't that. I mean, okay. Um, what is your experience within this realm? How can you make a blanket statement saying that this is true for everybody who practices in this field? And do you, by any chance, have one bad sour apple experience, experience that's now tainting your entire view of this whole thing? And a lot of people then are driven by their ego to go out on some sort of picket parade where they say, 
this is how this is. This is how this is. Well, great. You know, go ahead and, and lead your your self-righteous hating march, but it doesn't do any good for the greater good at all. It really, it really doesn't. It doesn't. I think we're seeing I think we're seeing it the pendulum swing the other way though, where more and more people do believe in it or they're getting a good reading. And by the way, what you said was right on the money. I was a non-believer in the beginning myself, even though I had experienced many, many things as a child, and then I certain things growing up. And then when I became a police officer in Salem, Massachusetts, of all places, considering I grew up in Florida, I uh, I went into a shop, had a reading, and that was a turning point for me when I sat down with the lady and at the end of the reading said, gee, Chuck, I really like your mom's uh, energy, her spirit, and she was fun to talk to. And by the way, I love her British accent. And with my mom being from England, that was a biggie. And you know, so I can appreciate a person not buying into it or not believing it, not understanding it. But you know, it's at some point when when you're given something that's so definable and you still say no, then then I start to look at it differently. I thought, well, not only are you closed minded, something's going on with you that you're putting up a block. So I don't waste a lot of time on those people. It's not worth it. And even at a party or whatever I'm at or around other people, if they start talking real negative, then I, uh, I'm okay with it. How did you know that you were connecting with spirits and not going crazy? And that kind of goes back to what you said before is how spirits will try to communicate with us and their messages don't come through very clear. Sometimes we can't tell if it's us, if it's our own voices within our head and how were you able to differentiate that? And how are you still able to differentiate that? It takes many years to get over that practice of thinking that you're crazy. Uh, like, I, I don't doubt it for a minute now that I'm crazy. No, just kidding. <laughs> that, it is, that it is for real. And that other people are going to think I'm crazy because they don't understand all the stuff I've witnessed and, and done with this. So I kind of get it all. You know, once you understand the whole picture... It doesn't bother me no matter where I go. If they want to laugh, point their finger, any of that stuff, it really doesn't bother me. You know, I, I the only thing is I won't accept a challenge with it. Like if if someone says, I don't believe it, blah, 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 then tell me what my dad's social security number is. Something like that. I don't even entertain that kind of stupidity. You know, it's like that's not the way it works. And you're not going to def define to me the way it, it works. I know how it works. And um there were many years that I did wonder, are you just losing it? Are you crazy? But it goes back to my childhood. My own mother, when I would tell her different things, like I'm hearing a voice or I'm watching a man sit down in our living room or whatever I'm seeing, oh, no, it's your imagination. And look, your brothers and sisters don't see it. Only you see it. Then, you know, it's got to be you and you're crazy. And I would even hear those words. So um, I, it was hard for me growing up thinking that, what was happening was real and that it wasn't just a crazy person. So, you know, you nailed it with that. That's kind of the way it was when I was much younger. But then when you start, when you, when you can, even with another country, talk to law enforcement in another country and guide them to a body that they've been searching for for months, that's, that's not a crazy person. Would you say that it's, more important for 
parents to have an open mind when listening to their kids about these topics, when their kids are talking to them about it, than having a skeptical mind. So for instance, young Chuck Bergman talking to his mother saying, these are the things that I'm hearing. You know, many parents nowadays may say, "Uh oh, maybe my son's daughter is schizophrenic. They take him into the doctor and then the doctor can correctly or sometimes incorrectly diagnose them. They go on medicine. That's a whole path. Or, you know, the parents can listen to their child and say, that's really interesting. Your grandfather had very similar experiences or I had similar experiences. Do, do you think that there needs to be a healthy combination of that open-mindedness and skepticism from parents when listening to kids talk to their parents about this, especially because I, this is a, a statement that I'm going to say just because I don't have any other words to say that, that I can think of any other better way of putting it, but children seem to be closer to God in, in this sense of they're not yet infiltrated with everything else that has to go on for a human being to progress. They're not yet, I've got bills to pay. I've got school. I've got all these things. The younger you are, the more connected they seem to be, which is why I think children can see shadow people as I have. Children can have more out-of-body experiences. It, does it seem like that that's more of an appropriate time to take these things seriously? Does it ever? And you've, I think this is why we've been friends for so many years. You've always explained it to me better than I understand it myself. And oh, I, wow. I got to thank you. Yeah, and I've got to admit, my uh, my situation was one where my mom, which I didn't find out till after she had passed away, but my mother and her mother, uh, my grandmother that I love so much, you know, were both mediums, and there was a problem in the family because my mother's sister was also a medium, but apparently hearing voices and telling people about it and everything over in England to the point where she was forcibly put away in an insane asylum that they had no way of handling it or they didn't know what to do with her. And I, I don't know if she was able to confirm any of the stuff she was hearing, or I don't know what the deal was, but that was their way of handling it back then. In fact, there's an amazing story about a woman named Helen Duncan back in the day who she was simply at home, a, a single housewife, doing her work, doing her thing. And she she kept hearing all these soldiers knock on her door and come in. And she knew that they were in spirit. And they would tell her, write this number down, call my parents. We were all on a submarine, a British submarine that was sunk by the enemy, and we all perished in it. And we want our parents to know that that we're not coming home. And and my dad will know it's me if you tell him my name is Chubby, my nickname or whatever. It went on and on and on. Well, Helen Duncan did this for the families, and the British Navy didn't want the public knowing that their submarine had been sunk. So they arrested Helen so she would keep her mouth shut. And the sad part about that story is she spent time in prison and while in there, she was giving a reading and the guards came up, I guess, banging the, the railing or whatever they do while she was in trance. And the, the shock of it all, she died of a heart attack. So you can, you know what I mean? It's like that was the era in which my mom and my grandmother lived. So they had a totally different perspective. We have the perspective of John Edwards, James Van Prague, Sylvia Brown. 
you know, it's a lot different the way we kind of look at the way mediums do their work and how they help people. I also think that the world's turned to a more open-minded mindset with a lot of things. There is a, it's a weird transition, right? And obviously we can't tell everyone how to parent or suggest that this is the best way to parent, to listen to your kids, this or that. But this reminds me of um, this guy that I used to work with. He still works with the same company I work with, but we worked together in a department years ago. And he wasn't talking directly to me, but he was within the group that we were talking to. And he said that he brought his son to one of the um, aircraft carriers that is stationed in San Diego as a museum, like the Midway. It may have been the Midway. I don't exactly remember. And uh, they went up to the upper decks and the flight deck where they had all the airplanes stationed. And this kid is about four, I want to say. I want to say between three and five. So maybe four is accurate. And the kid pointed at the airplane, looked at his dad and said, I did that. That's what I did. And, you know, like that was my job. And what broke my heart is this guy said, no, 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 no. We don't believe in that. (laughs) And it just, (laughs) you know, that broke my heart to hear that he shut his kid down so quick. And with respect to all different forms of parenting, I don't know their religious beliefs. I don't know the type of practices that their family brings to the table. And I I understand that, but I I just felt like maybe he missed out on a crucial opportunity to understand what his kid used to be. And because I I fully believe in reincarnation. So, and and yeah, God, it's just, it's so important, I think, for parents to listen to kids expressing these things at a young age. And it's, it's also very important to, understand how those communications develop. Do they develop into something that needs to be possibly looked at as a possible, you know, uh, psychological diagnosis, or do they need to be looked at as more of, wow, I, I think my kid is actually gifted. And there may not be a straight line between any of that. Uh, it really just depends on the situations that happen and other factors that contribute into it. There's psychological books that say, you know, if your kid has ABCD and gray lines all over the place, but it's really important, you know, to understand what happens at those young ages. Um, So when you're connecting with someone's loved one, when you are in the moment, actually connecting with them on the other side, what is it like for you while you're in that moment? Are you feeling different? Are like you've said before, with describing the car in the driveway, what kind of experiences and feelings are you going through? Yeah, I, I'm. I'd like to talk about that because uh, what we tell our children is really important. You know, I have a 17 year old son, and his whole life he's seen dad doing uh, in house readings or phone readings or whatever. You know, I, I will go down to the other end of the house and my office to do the phone readings, but he's never there when I'm doing the people in the living room, the families, but he does see the after effect where they're, excuse me, where they're leaving the house and they're hugging me and thanking me. And then six months later, they're back for another one. So he does know the value of it. And I think that's very, very important. And I've witnessed him give some amazing validations about my own dad. 
And this this would be out of the blue where we're watching a movie and he would start laughing and say, Hey, your dad is here. And then he'd give me a little bit of a a little bit of a mini reading, if you will. And uh, it would be right on the money. I would let him know that and how good it is. But then I would caution him too. I would say, you know, at school, even if you see a person's mom or dad or grandmother or whatever in spirit, and you say, hey, this is what they look like, or this is what they're saying, you could be 100% correct. But when the word gets out because of your age, you're just going to be marked as a weirdo. There's no way everyone in the school is going to go, hey, wow, you're a hero. You, you can do that. And, you know, we're happy for you and all that. It's not going to happen. So he's very good at, even with myself, where when we go places, we don't talk about it. But I, if you got, I've got a great little story on that. I can tell you the quick version because I was sitting at a local, um, a local restaurant where they have a very nice bar, but they don't serve alcohol because they're right across the street from a Catholic church. And, you know, I'm not, I'm only getting to that because you wonder if I'm sitting at a bar, you know, I'm not there for the alcohol. I'm there because it's a good place to sit. And the big TV is right there in front of me while I'm having my lunch. Well, it was funny because an ad came on for a psychic medium appearing on a TV show. And the guy that I've known for a couple of years there didn't know what I do. He didn't know I was a medium. And it was the way he turned to me and said, I don't believe in that shit, do you? It was the way he said it. And it kind of caught me off guard. And I said, nah, those guys are crazy. And, and I'm thinking, how funny if he only knew who he's talking to. And uh, so I'm eating my, my meal and uh, <clears throat> the waitress comes over. And I find out later it was her first day on the job. And she said, I know you guys don't believe in this stuff, but do you know of any psychics in the area? Because my brother died last week and I've been, I've been wanting to find a psychic who can connect with my brother. I said, yeah, there's plenty in the area. I said, let me give you my business card. Now oh, the other guy's wow. looking at me like, like I'm crazy. But this, what I did next was priceless. <clears throat> I've got my index finger with the pad of the finger pointing upward. And I leaned my head into my finger. I said, He's here right now, and he's telling me he's so happy. He doesn't have to put this white cream on his eye anymore. And she goes, oh, he hated that white cream. It would really sting. And he had to do it every day, every morning. And she says, how do you know about that? I said, his name is Arthur. He's here right now. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, have a reading with Chuck. Have a reading with Chuck. I said, here's my business card. We'll talk about it later. But I said... He's ready when you are. So let me know when you feel like you're ready for it. You might want to do it with your family. And the other guy was the older guy was sitting there with his jaw hanging down. Like, what did I what did I just witness? <laughs> and I went back to, you know, uh, went back to eating the meal and watching TV. But it goes to show you, you never know who who's around you when you're saying things like that. When you're connecting with them, whether it was a planned session or an unplanned like that. Do you find yourself feeling like you're in like you're in an alternate reality? Then you switch back, or is it like a regular? Um, I, I'm just here within the present moment. It's just someone else talking to me from the other side, or you know, as, as someone who's not a psychic medium, I I guess I'm trying to understand how the job goes, if that makes sense. I'm not trying to mean that in a bad way at all. You know, I hope you don't take it that way. It's just. No, no, I, I can appreciate that. And where I do it all the time, it's it's kind of like I'm used to it and that's normal for me. But 
I do wonder how the other people would perceive what I'm doing. And it's funny because I will kind of like zone out on them for maybe a few seconds only. But it seems like when I cross the line and I'm negotiating on the other side, there's a lot of conversation, but it all happens in a split second. And then it seems like, and it's almost like waking up out of a dream, giving them what I've uh, received and interpreting it and talking about it. But then it's like I have to go back to sleep. I have to get back into that state of mind where I can give them more information. So it's very draining. It's very hard to do. And you can only do it for so long. And if you if you push it, like if I do a large group where I'm like maybe giving readings for two and a half or three hours, sometimes I'll be like uh, brain dead for three days straight where I just feel it. It's like taking that an amazing, long, difficult test, you know, where you're putting your brain to work. There's a there's a lot going on the in the brain when you do a reading like that, I guess. You have to have a detox period after each reading. Not a formal one, but um, a lot of times with me, I'll, I'll come out of the office, I'll go in and, you know, just um, make a cup of coffee or tea or whatever and put on TV. I need a distraction right away because I don't want to keep going over my in my head. What just happened? What was I getting? Did I get it right? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you just say, I have to distract myself. So I, I will find different techniques, different ways of doing that. Why do you think some people can see spirits and others can't? What, why do some people have these abilities and others don't? I, I used to use the phrase, well, same reason we can all play chopsticks on a piano, but would you want to compete with uh, Elton John? You know, I mean, some people are just better at certain things than other people, and we don't know why. It's just the way the way we're wired, the way we do things, the way we think, the way we believe. And I I can be a rather, not really stubborn, but um, as I told you, my website went down a week ago. And even my son said, Dad, you're up day and night trying to figure that out, how to rebuild the new one, how to put the new one in place. And you're, you're learning all these commands and techniques. You're watching YouTubes. You're doing, he says, you just don't give up, do you? And I think that's what happened with mediumship. When I, when I realized I could connect with them, I didn't give up. I just stayed with it day and night. And, uh, you know, I'd go to meditation classes. I would go to mediumship classes. And I, I just put my heart and soul into it. And I think that can make a difference. I don't think anyone wakes up with the ability and you just walk out and start doing it. Like playing the piano, you're going to have to take lessons. Do you think that your prior experience in the military and being a cop also gave you the drive to never give up? In a way, yeah, because it, it, it did teach me that when you're given a job or a duty or an assignment, you really do have to do it. You can't fake it. You have to do it. Especially in the Navy, right? You and I both being Navy veterans, we understand you you stay on watch until you're relieved. You do your job. You go for it over 100%. It doesn't matter what's going on, what else is going on at the time. If this is what you have to do, this is what you have to do. So it's something that whether you're in for four years or 10 years, definitely becomes a big part of your personality because it's your day-to-day training. You're totally correct on that. You, <laughs> you're not allowed to mess up. And when they give you an assignment, you have to do it. So same idea, I guess. So maybe that's where I got the structure. And then when I got out, guess what they did on the police department? Same idea. 
you know, here are rules. If you break them, you're in trouble. Everyone has rules similar to that at work. Some people are allowed to operate in more of a gray area, but certainly law enforcement and military have some of the strictest. You follow these rules or um, the punish, the consequences are just so severe. It's true. You know, in the Navy now, you know, you can go to mast, you can get reduction in rank, reduction in pay, you're restricted to the ship for two weeks. I mean, it just becomes a, it becomes a nightmare. And it's, I, I think that that type of discipline is one of the best things that could have helped you and is helping you for this path now for being a psychic medium, because you constantly have that type of character built into you while you're doing this, get it right. This is my job. Get the job done. This is what you're focused on. That's the exact same thing that the military and the police uh, force teach you. And it's a discipline that many people have who haven't been in those fields. And it, I think it's something great that everyone should develop as a character aspect because it can really drive them to get the dreams done that they've been putting on hold for so long. So the fact that you are so focused and in the moment, I think is one of the reasons why you are one of the best of, of the best. James Von Prague, again, you know, recommends you, you've had these amazing experiences. And so I just wanted to applaud you for that. Well, thank you very much. And part of it is my own stupidity. I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget. I'll never forget that I, and I shouldn't have agreed to this, but I did where uh, a producer from Hollywood had called up and said, uh, you know, I saw you or I heard you on the radio show. And he said, I'm very good friends with the only living brother of Bruce Lee. Whoa. And he's and he's in China now, but he'll be coming back to uh, Hollywood in a, you know, a few weeks. He said, if we come to your home, would you would I be able to connect with Bruce Lee if his brother was in the room? And so we talked for a little while. And then the more I thought about it, I called him back. I said, listen, I'm here in Florida. I said, by the time you bring uh, Bruce's brother, yourself, the production team and all of that, wouldn't it be easier on everyone if I just went to Hollywood, if I flew out there and then I go on stage and we do a thing with uh, Robert Lee, Bruce's uh, brother, wouldn't that be better? And everyone agreed to it. So the defining moment was I'm in Jacksonville where I live near Jacksonville. And I'm on the airplane, and we're leaving, getting ready to do the taxi and then the takeoff. And I'm looking around at all the other people, either going to wherever they're going for vacation or whatever they're doing. And I'm thinking, I've got to go to Hollywood and talk to Bruce Lee on a level that is not things that have been written about him, nothing in uh, on TV or movies or whatever. I've got to tell his brother things that they kept secret am I crazy? And I'm sitting there, a, the plane is taxiing, and I'm thinking, I want to get off the plane. I want to go back. I want to go home. I don't want to do it. But, you know, my drive is that I followed through, and it, and it turned out to be an amazing session. There, there was a piece that happened with that that I think is worth hearing, because I know you believe in the afterlife. You believe in reincarnation and stuff like that. But here's something I've never heard either one of us talk about. And this is where, when I sat down with Robert Lee, the very first thing I said to him, I said, your brother Bruce is here and he's holding up a tie that's already tied, almost like he slipped it off the top of it, you know, over the top of his head. 
and it's tied, you know, it's a, it's a uh, thin black tie. Why is he showing me that? And he laughed and he said, funny you would mention that. Yesterday, my wife and I were in the living room talking about Chuck coming to Hollywood to connect with Bruce Lee and whether or not they thought I could connect with Bruce. He said, then after the conversation, he went into the bedroom and in his socks drawer is where he kept his car keys and his wallet. So they were getting ready to go to do a little shopping. So he went to get his wallet and his car keys, but stretched out across everything was a thin black tie. Wow. He picked it up, went in the living room holding it, kind of like the way I was mimicking holding a tie that was already tied. And he showed it to the wife and he says, hey, honey, do you know what this is? And she goes, oh, yeah, that looks like the tie that Bruce wore in the Green Hornet series. And he says, well, listen, it was in my socks drawer laying on top of everything. He said, I didn't put it there, did you? She says, no. She said, we don't have any of Bruce's stuff. We've donated it to museums. We've auctioned it off. You know, we don't have any of his stuff. And he said to her, well, then how did it get here? And on stage, it's funny, I, I, I put my hands up like, hey, don't blame me. I said, I was in Florida yesterday. <laughs> I couldn't have done it. <laughs> kind of like the hands of the watch. Remember, we told you that story a little earlier. So there are metaphysical things that are happening that even, it's so subtle that I still wonder, how did it end up in the socks drawer? And then how did I know about it? The same way with the watch. How did it stop at 1015, his badge number? He knew about it in spirit, but his wife didn't. You know, how do you explain these things other than there's a lot more going on than we understand? Well, then how can we tell when a spirit is communicating with us? Do they leave us objects? Do they talk to us? Do they show us a color? Do they give us a scent? Is it different for everybody? I, I know for me, after Marvin passed away, there was one day about two days after his passing, I'm laying on the ground and I'm looking into the little house that he used to be in. Um, I'm trying not to tear up now. And I was just unbelievably beside myself. I was crying and begging for him to come back. I said, come back, come back, come back. It was one of the worst feelings of loss I've ever had. And I got up and went to the bathroom and I just remember staring in the mirror because I didn't, I saw my reflection, but didn't feel like there was any sort of life staring back into me. And in all of a sudden, my house went dead silent and I heard his meow. Oh, wow. And it just, I, I looked, I looked around. It was a moment of, are you here? And obviously I knew he wasn't, but to me, that was him reaching out to me. He was also one of the funniest cats ever. He, um, and not to derail too much, but I'm just, you know, relating to this question, but he was a Maine Coon. And we used to say that he took um, great Dane type poops. He, I mean, it was just unbelievable. Like, <laughs> oh my God, Marvin, how did you, you know, how did this one happen? And because of his diabetes it was just a, a pretty awful smell and i remember I and mean, i always cleaned it up right away but i remember after his passing i would smell that smell and going really are you trying to communicate with me by giving me this <laughs> you know th this scent and so is 
Is it different for everybody? Uh, do they leave objects such such as a tie, um, or is it more of that? It's different. Uh, a communication's different for everybody through you. I think it's different for everyone, and I think their most common technique is to when you're most relaxed and you're asleep, because then they've got the element of you get to connect with them briefly during a dream. You know you're with them, but then when you wake up, you go, well, that was just a dream. So it's still keeping them sort of in that disguised mode or still keeping them on the other side. And I want you to think about what you just said with hearing the meow. You just talked about it. And while you're talking about it, you can probably hear that in your head. But the day it happened, it was a lot different. It was like you truly heard him. It was like the real voice. It was like loud. It was clear. You knew it was him. Today, when you remembered that sound, it's got a different feel. And it's that difference that I connect with when I do a reading. I can tell when I'm remembering something or I'm thinking about something. But when spirit connects with me and I'm hearing their voice or their feeling, whatever's going on, it's kind of like the meow you heard that morning. It's like totally different. It's like the real thing. And you know to pay attention. And it's actually got substance to it. You know it's real. That day, it was real. It was, it, it was as if he was right there at my ear. And now remembering it, there's a different feeling towards that. So that makes complete sense. It's I I, I definitely understand that. Um, so do But do animals do different things in the afterlife when they're trying to communicate to us or to you? I, so Bruce Lee was signaling with a tie. Um, Arthur was signaling with the eye cream. Can animals do something very similar or do they have a different method of communicating with you while you're communicating with them? Sometimes it's almost like I'll hear their thoughts. And I'm sure you remember the story about the dog where it was the end of a reading had a mom and her two daughters, you know, in front of me and they were whispering something as I thought we were getting ready to leave. And then I said, whoa, I said, that was a pretty good reading. Are you unhappy? And they said, oh, we're very happy with grandma and grandpa coming in and everything. But uh, we have a pet that died. We were hoping the pet would come in. And it was pretty amazing because the pet then spoke to me in words. And you probably remember this, wifey. He says, hey, Chuck, just tell them Mexican blood runs through my veins. I think I remember this. Yeah, and I'm sitting in a chair going, did I just hear a, an animal speak to me? And it was a dog. So I looked up at him and I said, I think I'm connecting with your pet that died a week or so ago. And this is a dog and it's a uh, Mexican chihuahua. And they flipped out. They said, not only was it a Mexican chihuahua, but the girls even spoke to him in Spanish when it was time to eat or go outside or go to his little cage or whatever. They always spoke to him in Spanish. So that was their little Mexican, and he knew that they would relate to that. And up to that point, I was kind of like, I thought, this is a little unfair on me. The reading has ended. They're telling me a pet. I don't know if it's a dog, cat, bird, horse, turtle, snake. Could be rat. It could be anything. And yet to nail it and get the right, you know, breed of dog. And uh, he gave a few more things where they knew it was him. And I think that was more satisfying to them than hearing <laughs> from living people that had died. You know, the grandparents. Well, we can't we can't hear from our pets in while they're alive. We we understand what they're saying through uh, emotional cues, physical cues, and 
I think we like to pretend that we understand exactly what they're saying. And I have no doubt in my mind that a lot of us know exactly what they're saying, but to hear them put words to something is incredibly special. It it brings that realness even more real. Yeah, I don't get it all the time, but I have had several experiences around horses. And I used to own a horse where I will know exactly what they're saying. And then when I check it out with the owner of the horse, they'll confirm it. Then the first time it happened, I'll never forget because one horse was biting people. And the owner asked me, she said, can you do your thing around my horse and see if you can pick up why he's biting other people? And I was rubbing his head and kind of like just going along with it. But then I heard, and the funny thing is he spoke to me kind of like in the voice of Mr. Ed, the talking horse. <laughs> and he says, I know I'm in trouble for biting, biting, biting. And, I said, and, I'm, and I'm getting ready to run. I'm thinking like, did I just hear a voice? Did I hear him speak to me? But here's what I need. I, I can't just go up to her and say, hey, your horse spoke to me, and this is what I heard. To me, that's a little too generic. So I kept rubbing his head, and I said, yeah. I said, why are you doing that? I said, you know, and your your owner is probably going to have to sell you to someone else, and then you've got to be moved and start all over again. You may not like your new home. Why are you biting people? <clears throat> and he didn't speak to me the second time. The second time, I saw a video like like – it's almost like, you know, you've seen scenes of the, uh, the, the manger scene open up, you know, in, on a movie or whatever, and they, they, the lighting is just right, and it's in a big circle and all. The horse showed me him being born and the mother dying giving birth to him. So now I had something to sink my teeth into, so I con- connected with him for a few minutes, and then I went over to the, you know, the owner, and I said, hey, um, is this true? He's telling me that his mother died giving birth to him. And I I almost like passed out when she said that. She said, yes, and I was there for the delivery. And And then I learned this. Again, one more point for people with animals, why they act the way they act. And I said, well, she's telling me you only play out when you come up here to the riding club with everyone else. And he said, it's the pickup trucks with the diesel engines that frighten him. And I didn't, I, I didn't, I couldn't figure that one out. So I ran it by the owner. I said, why would he be afraid of diesel engines, the motors? He said, that terrifies him. And this is really hard to hear, but it's true. She said, when the mother died giving birth to him, the only way they could get the mother out of the stall was to get the tractor with a diesel engine and put a chain around the legs of the mother and pull her oh, out of the stall. Oh, God. And he's remembering that from the day he was born. So he doesn't bite anyone, doesn't give any problems, but take him to the horse club where he's hearing these engines, diesel engines. He thinks they're coming after him. And that's like that's like a story I, I couldn't even make up, you know? And and the, the cute part is the more I talked to him and eased him and everything, all of his bad behavior went away. He didn't bite anyone anymore? No, no, it all went away. He he became perfectly normal. He understood why he was up there. And kind of cool. I'd go up there with my horse and walk around him and walk over to make sure I'd spend a little time with him and ask him how things were going. And I never got any more uh, messages or replies or whatever, but it was just kind of nice knowing that I helped him. 
I don't have a lot of words to react to that story right now because it, it's yeah, just was, so heart touching. I didn't even know that I could connect with horses. And when I heard the, I know I'm in trouble for biting, biting, biting. I, I, I thought I was, you talk about feeling like you're crazy. That was the moment. Well, th this actually ties really, really well into what I wanted to ask you next, because you mentioned that he showed you a video. He talked to you saying, I know, biting, biting, but in order for him, it, he didn't just say that this happened to my mother. He showed you a video. So why do, why do spirits talk in clues? You know, why, why do they give us these clues rather than just come out and say something um, outright, just like Bruce Lee with the, with the tie. And it seems like that they have limited time to interact with us within these clues as well. Are they, I'm just wondering why. Maybe what you and I mentioned earlier, it's kind of like bandwidth, you know, how much energy and how much is um, required to show a video picture versus creating the words and vibrating my eardrum. So I'm going to hear the words. I don't even know how they do that. It, if, if you and I were back to back to each other, and one of us was assigned with the task of saying, all right, dream up a number from one to a hundred and keep saying it over and over in your mind. How do you transmit that number to the other person's brain? How do you get it over there? And that's what they're stuck with. How do you transmit it? How do you get the message to be transmitted and received? And I think they just have different formats. But my, my theory is they use the least amount of energy. Otherwise, they can only do so much. And then they kind of like, they, they don't have any more energy. Would you say that this is similar to the quote that Dr. Jordan Peterson says? This isn't his exact quote. He uses this. This is someone else's quote, but he uses this quote a lot that people don't understand God because they don't look low enough. I've never heard that phrase, but wow, is that, that's amazing. Yeah. I think that's the same principle. I really do. And maybe that ties back into why children are able to have greater and more powerful experiences than us in the adult life. Different, They're operating on different frequencies. They are looking low enough. They are, I wanted to say that earlier, and I, I was going to say that when you were talking about children and some of them are hearing and seeing and remembering a past life and stuff like that. But you, it's true. They are on a much higher frequency than we are. How much influence would you say that these spirits have over our daily lives? I, I know that I've heard, well, I've heard they are allowed to interfere with some things. They aren't with others. I, I guess that some people believe and can picture that our lives are controlled as if we are a marionette puppet and our loved ones in the afterlife are the ones pulling the strings. And at other times they only pull the strings when necessary. So how much influence would you say that they have over us every day. I like your second choice on that, that um, only when necessary do they intervene. I think they enjoy watching our freedom and seeing what we do with it. And there's something, another element that I, I learned about them that um, another reason why they're around us is they know true love. They know pure honesty. They know all this stuff. But what they don't, they don't have anymore up there is a hug or a kiss or a pat on the back, all of that goes away when you're in spirit. And I think part of it is they, they're remembering what it was like to have someone care about you or maybe buy you a, a soda and hand it to you or whatever, you know, an act of kindness, things that it's just not the same up in heaven, you know, it's different. 
and I think that they crave like you can't describe to a person what a good kiss is really like. And I, I know one night in a dream, I, I learned that I was single at the time and I met a woman in my dream. I really liked her and I'm giving her a kiss. And then I started laughing in the dream. And she said, what's so funny? I said, just now when we kissed, I could feel the warmness of your lips. I could feel the moisture. I could feel the vibration, the love and all of that which is kind of odd because I know I'm asleep right now. I know it's a dream and I didn't know we could feel all this in a dream. And don't forget, there are some people who don't even dream. they never dream. And some people never dream in color. And I'm aware of dreaming in color. And I know that I have feeling. I know I have, I can sense warm, cold. Uh, in that case, I, I, I remember the kiss feeling like a real kiss. Now I've got to find that woman. I don't know where she ended up. But <laughs> I've had that happen too, where things in my dream have been so real. And I dream very vividly. I dream in color and mo I wouldn't say most of the time. I would say maybe 40% of the time when I dream, when I wake up, I have to convince myself this isn't real. I dream that strongly. And so there's a lot of experiences I've also had where it's, this is, this just happened. This is real. And I'm ready to jump out of bed and spring into action to continue on with the storyline. But as I'm laying in bed and realizing that it's, I'm not in that world, everything kind of fades away. Yeah. And what is that world? I was wondering the other morning when I woke up, like, okay, there are other people in my dream who are doing movement, thinking and different stuff. Who's controlling them, their thoughts, their movement, the verbiage that they give me during the dream. Who's controlling that is, or is it another person somewhere in another dream that's the two of us are, are put together? I, I still don't understand how that dream state works. You know, it's, it's pretty fascinating. I'm starting to think that it's kind of, I'm starting to think that it's similar to how Dr. Again, Dr. Jordan Peterson was describing thinking that we, the, the reason why we think is, is, is so that we, we can die without dying. And we have these different realities that go on in our heads and we're allowed to end any of them. So we can continue on a storyline of whatever we want and allow that to continue as far as we want. We can daydream and go with it as far as crazy as we want it to be. And then we can just end it. We can have unlimited lives in our head. And I True. think that that same thought process is what's happening while we're asleep, we just have less conscious interaction with it. Yeah, that's really getting deep. And I, you know, I, every night, every, you know, I have these odd dreams or whatever. I wake up and I try to analyze it, but you don't know if it's just random stuff put together, together by brain cells or, or what the heck's really going on. When a person enters the afterlife, are they automatically assigned guardian roles over their loved ones? Do they, when when they're up there, whichever realm that they end up being at, are they automatically either uh, told or um, are, are they guided towards watching over us? Do they even have to? They don't have to, no. But I do know certain things I've noticed that they talk about is, one is they keep their appearance and then with a short period within a short period of time they'll if they were just say 80 when they went over then they'll revert back to about 45 years old 
and I know this because I'll tell people, this is what your mom or dad look like. And when I describe them, they'll say, oh, my gosh, you're right on the money. But that would be like 30 years before they passed over. So how they project themselves will usually be 20, 30 years younger or when they felt the best in their life, the healthiest. Um, another thing is they'll talk about they continue doing over there what they did here. So if they were fishing or golfing or whatever, they do it with perfection on the other side and still enjoy doing it. So it's almost like you're not leaving this life in a way. However, with time, they start dropping that body because it would be like myself is the easiest way to explain it. After a while, I don't need to um, exist as Chuck anymore. I'm not Chuck anymore. I'm over there. I'm a spirit, and I'm living that kind of a lifestyle. So you kind of drop behind all of this, which may explain why they don't come through saying, hi, my name is Randall, you know, and blah, 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 because they're really not that anymore, and they're able to drop it. I, and, um, on the, it just hit me, too. I have had um, readings on the day of passing for some people, you know, where the family will be there, and it's just convenient. We're all there, and then they'll come to me, and I don't even know that it's that day that the person passed away. And typically, they do have to relate back to their name, their body. Everything has to be associated with this lifetime, but with progression of time, they no longer have to be who they were. They don't have to do that. Well, when you gave uh, when you gave me my reading from Marvin after he passed, this wasn't the day of. This was just a couple of days after. We had a really great reading, but it was short into the meeting where he said, "Come on, Mom, I haven't even unpacked yet." And so, <laughs> and that's what you told me. And I went, "That's so Marvin. That's so Marvin." And so. <laughs> you know, gave it some time and, you know, let him do what he needed to do. We had another really wonderful reading after that. But I mean, it's, it sounds like that, you know, they get up there, we're anxious to continue our relationship with them, but they do have a transitionary period. Where they, they really do. Them. Yes. And don't forget, they've got to learn to walk and move and communicate and everything is different than the way we do it here in the body. It's so different. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever had this dream, but I've had it many times where in the dream, I'm walking around my neighborhood or whatever, but it's sort of like walking on the moon, like weightlessness. Yes. Have you ever had that dream? All the time. I'm always, I'm always flying or I'm always walking on the moon or I'm always running at twilight vampire speed. Always. See, mine is, is more of in the dream, I'm learning how to like take a step and you're up in the air a little and then like projecting myself forward so i'll move forward and the better i get at it in the dream the further i can travel on each step if that makes sense you know like but it's amazing how many times and even in the dream i'll say hey i've had this dream before and i'll even get better at it as time goes on at, at doing that type of doing what spirits do you know walking without the clunky heavy body do they have a choice not to look after you on the other side? Can they say, you know what, I'm here and I'm ready to sever all my relationships with the ones down on earth. And even if someone comes to you for a reading and say, I want to connect with so-and-so, can they say, no, I'm complete. This is my time to have my time with me. Absolutely. They've got that right. But I have to admit with thousands of readings that I've done, the only time I have an issue like that where I can't do the reading and I only get maybe one a year, thank goodness, 
it's never the spirit refusing. It's the person in front of me being a jerk. <laughs> and I can't put it any other way. That's that's the only thing that'll stop a reading. And back in the day, I would I would go through the whole thing for an hour or whatever, battling a non-believer, and they'd question everything, no matter how good it was. Now I'll listen to that for like five minutes, and then I'll say, well, they're not here. we got to stop. Sorry. Give them a refund and move on, because I'm not going to waste energy, time. And to me, it's insulting to the other side. If they're giving uh, valuable stuff and the person is declining it, and I, I, I got to tell you, there was a, a thing that led me to that. It was the first actual reading I did for, it was a girl who set up the reading, you know, wanted to come to my home. And it was one of the first ones I was giving to a, a non, like, work partner or friend or buddy or whatever. It was my first client. So then she kept changing the rules. Like, is it okay if I bring my girlfriend with me? So for for the same price, which was a low amount of money, it was $50 for the two of them. She says, you know, well, can we both come in for the same price? And I said, yeah, okay. So I'll give both of them a reading. And I remember the, the one girl sitting in front of me, and the first thing I said, your dad's coming through, and I'm seeing a nice little, it looks like a telephone directory book that you'd keep in your pocketbook. It's got green ivy going around the edges. It's got a little cutout in the middle, and you've got dad's picture right in the cutout. He loves that little telephone book. I don't know what you're talking about, she says. I said, okay. And then we went on to four, five, six, seven, several things. And no, 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 no. And then finally she says, I says, okay, well, let me try and read your friend. And I'm getting a little discouraged. I said, I don't even want to do this anymore. So I'm giving her friend a reading. And then the number one girl had to go to the ladies' room. So she goes to the bathroom. And her friend said, I can't let her do this to you. She reached over, opened up her friend's pocketbook, and pulled out that little telephone book. Oh, my God. With the green ivy going around the edges, dad's picture in the middle, and everything the way I described it. I said, she said no to that. I said, why would she do that? Well, she told me if we say no to everything, that you'll stop the reading but give us our money back, and then we get all that stuff for free. I said, after hearing that, I said, the reading's over. I said, you can have your money back. But I said, I've learned a lesson. I'll never go more than five minutes. If someone wants to say no to everything, then I'm done. But I'm just showing you, it's not an easy field to break into. But I don't want to dwell on the bad because there are one, one, maybe two people I don't care for a year only out of all the great, wonderful people that I'm, I'm so impressed that I've gotten to meet people of all walks of life. I've met some of the greatest people. And most of them, I'm still, like yourself, I still keep in contact with a lot of them. Is there a general consensus among spirits about human these type of human actions, like conflict, jealousy, uh, revenge, love, generosity, spite? What are their thoughts about our actions? They must look down upon us because every spirit I come, come through with, I only had one... Uh, recently and it was it was rather sad two people came to see me and as soon as i started the reading i looked at the uh the the female the mom and i just said your mom is coming through i said i've never had this happen during a reading but i've got to tell you she's pointing her index finger at you and shaking it she's really angry at you over something and now she's got her hands on her hips and it's like really making me feel that you did something 
that really upset your mother? I said, I don't like to start a reading off like that. I've, I've never done this before. Is there a reason why your mom would be this angry? And she started crying and she said, yeah, there's a very good reason. Mom was scheduled to go and get her vaccine and me and my husband talked her out of it. And a week later she got COVID and died. And this is only like two weeks later. So she said, it's very recent and I wanted to apologize to mom. That's why we came here. Um, but they do understand with free will and we don't understand everything while we're here in the body. We do make mistakes. We, and you know, in a way I can look at that whole scenario and say, Hey mom, that was your call. You didn't have to give in. You could have said, okay, you win and then go get the vaccine if that's what you really wanted. So free will again. So uh, do you know who Sam Harris is? He's a um, uh, atheist, but uh, teaches meditation and is into a lot of different Buddhist techniques. He has a, um, a, a phrase that's really, really interesting. I, I go down the rabbit hole with this on a daily basis. He says, we don't have free will because we don't know where our next thought comes from. Hmm. And the more I think about it, the more I lean towards we don't have free will. But there's also, we could say, oh, I could think about cheeseburgers. See, and I just thought about cheeseburgers. But where did the thought about thinking about cheeseburgers come from? It leads, it, it, it's one of those, it, you could keep going with it. It's crazy. It doesn't at all. I've they, wondered exactly what you're saying too. Like, why do I come up with these different thoughts? You know, but lately I've had a, a one that's kind of interesting where I'll be walking around the house and I'll just say, where did I lay my keys? And out of nowhere, I'll get an image of where my keys are laying, like on the clothes dryer or, you know, in my bedroom or in the master bath or whatever. I'll see them laying there and I go, oh yeah. And I'll walk in and there they are. And I, and I still want to know, like, how come I didn't recover that information right away? Why did it have to be shown to me in that format? You know, I, I where is it coming from? Or who's looking after us? I, I've thought sometimes that that could be our loved ones trying to get some humor and misplacing some of our things. As, as extreme as that sounds, I've had many instances where I've put something right here I leave and I come back and it's not right here. And then I go searching all around for it and I go, it's right here again. And one thought in my mind will go, that's grandma. And she's up there <laughs> just wanting to do something funny because we're all funny when we look like we're running around with our chicken, you know, as a yep. chicken with their head cut off. And so maybe they just wanted to watch a comedy right now. So they're all sitting there with lounge chairs and popcorn and some, you know, 3d glasses and, you know, look what I just made so-and-so too. And, <laughs> you know, we, we could be very comedic. We could be very tragic. Maybe we're all of the above to them at, at the same time. You know, I I've thought that through what you're talking about too. Like just say you put the keys on the kitchen table. That's where you always put them. You put the car in the garage, you come through that door, the kitchen table is right there. You always put them on the kitchen table. Now you've got an important meeting to go to. You're running a little late. You look on the table, no keys. You look all over the house, no keys, no keys. You go back in the kitchen and there are the keys on the table. I don't think that spirit or anyone else is picking them up and hiding them and putting them somewhere where you don't see them and then putting them back again. You know, two acts of moving the keys. I don't think that's happening. 
What I believe they've got the ability to do is mask what you're seeing in your brain when you look with your eyes. So you're looking at an empty table. I've never thought about that before. Well, I'm kind of weird, as you know. And no, I've tried, I, I've tried to look at it from like, what are the odds? Because I have seen spirit overlay images over my real eyesight that look like, like, like it's real. Uh, there, there was the one story, and I'm not going to get into the whole story, but a young kid had been missing for eight months. And while I'm in my office looking out my, my back window to my backyard and the wooded area and all of that, I saw the number 020 floating by, but it looked like numbers you'd see on a weather map on television. And it looked like if, if I could run out in the yard and grab those numbers, I could pull them out of the air. That's how real it looked. And I'm watching it go by real slowly. And then I said to the parents, hey, take out a map to find your son's body. you got to go 020 degrees north, 139 miles. And my point in saying that is that's how I got the idea. Maybe they're hiding or masking stuff. So it looks like the keys aren't there. They really are there. It, it resonates is very accurate as they put a blinder over our vision rather than pick up the keys, hold on to them behind their back and then put them back Which, down. Yeah, that would be a lot of work. But then again, so is showing you an empty table, but I find that more plausible really than hiding them behind their back or in the other room. Where, where are they going to put them for five or 10 minutes while you're searching and you come back and you go, damn it, I know I looked on that table. I know I looked. Well, maybe they had to delay us those extra five minutes to prevent us from being in an accident. Maybe there's yes, yeah, something, there was some reason we had to not leave at that minute. And haven't you had this happen too, where you yes. look, you don't see them. You were looking around the house and someone else will say they're right here on the table where you left them. <laughs> well, they're the same theory. I, th I think they are masking our vision. And I've even thought of this. How many subtle times are they doing this and we don't even know this? Like, say we're getting ready to take an exit on a highway in an area we've never been before and just say there is danger there. And you read the sign and it says one thing, but it really does say something else. Wouldn't that be a way that spirit would have to assist us and keep us safe, even though we don't even know they're doing it? 100%. There's been many times where I have realize that I would have been in a situation I didn't want to be in if I looked at something a certain way. And I think that there were blinders on for protection now that I look back at it. So they've got vision, they've got uh, hearing, like the hearing the cat and different things, we can hear them. And we don't even know the other stuff they're able to motivate us with. Like maybe they make us hungry at a certain time, so we'll go do something. Who knows what Maybe we are the puppets and we don't even know it. If we don't have free will, we're not looking low enough, and all of our limbs and everything we do is controlled by a string, you know, by the different strings up there. We are the full marionettes without free will, not looking low enough. That really brings into question why are we here? If everything is controlled in the afterlife, what's the purpose? here and that would that will go into something that you know it kind of leads into a question i had for you a little bit later on but i mean that that goes down a rabbit hole that brings so much into question have you ever seen the movie what dreams may come it was an older movie with robin williams 
I have seen that. And um, I know uh, my friend James Van Prague was an influencer of when that movie was being uh, produced. Uh, he was telling us about it in his chat room. And no one had a chat room back then. He had a chat room, but he would tell us about the, the development of the movie, where it was headed. And uh, so he had a lot of input on some of the stuff you saw. And I felt it was very realistic of what to expect on the other side. And that was my question. Does everyone on the other side have their own version of heaven or hell that they create? Just as Robin Williams went in his his heaven, I believe, was um, a painting scene of the Eden paradise that him and his wife created through a real painting, if I'm remembering yeah, it right. I remember it's been, that, yes. Yeah, it's one of my favorite um, movies. And I, my favorite thing Robin Williams has ever done. I, I, I love Robin Williams, but I don't remember the full movie. So would you say that everyone has their own version of heaven or hell that they create up there, that we can live in the painting Eden that we have created? I truly believe that because some will report, you know, the golfing or fishing. And then I kind of wonder, well, why are you catching fish? You can't eat them or what's the fun of it? If you can't really, I don't know that the challenge isn't there. It seems like up in heaven, if you want to Every time you throw the bait in, you're going to get a big fish. You know, I mean, there's no challenge. Not like we have here. I don't I don't kind of get why they would keep repeating the same stuff over and over, but they do. And one topic we didn't bring up is they really do bring up the future. They bring up their future or our, our future? Our future. Our future. So that kind of goes back to what we're saying then. I mean, if you let's add that into the mix, but not go down the rabbit hole. If... We are a fully controlled marionette without farewell, not looking low enough for God, and they can see our future. What control do we have at all of our life? It sounds so far like none, which is incredible. Um, but if there, and again, we don't have to go down that, that, that could be something you and I can do an entire interview about. Uh, yeah. But so if, if they're, they're showing us our future is, would you say is everything planned out or is it planned out in steps? Are they showing us, you know, the next five moves or are they showing us the next 10 years? Whatever they want. I, I do remember when they filmed the, uh, the TV show, the opening scene was me as a little boy around five or six years old, trying to pin a fake badge onto my shirt, you know, while I was playing in the backyard and the badge kept falling off and, I started crying and I'll, and I'm out back alone, you know, doing this when I heard a man's voice say, don't cry. One day you'll be wearing a real badge. And it was like a real human had said it to me. And I remember looking up, up at God, looking around, there was no one, you know, no one there. And then I look at the way my life played out. The badge played a, a big role in my life. And, you know, it reminds me too of a, a reading I was giving a lady and the reading went great until the very end. Her husband had passed away. She wanted to hear from, you know, her husband. And I said, well, he's saying goodbye to you. And I got to be honest. I said, I don't get this scene, but he's passenger in a golf cart. He's turning around, waving goodbye to me. And you're driving the golf cart. Doesn't mean that you're going to end up on the other side. But I don't know why I'm seeing the two of you in a golf cart. It's going, you know, down the trail or driveway, whatever. And he's waving goodbye. And she said, he never played golf. We don't have a golf cart. That doesn't make any sense, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking like, what a terrible way to end a reading, <laughs> you know, but I know what I saw. And then 
three or four days later, I get a, an email from her. She tells me that when she had the reading, the following day was her birthday, and she lives in Virginia, a lot of property. And for her birthday, her children got her a golf cart to get around the property. So that's what the husband was saying. When you're in the golf cart, I'm going to be in there with you. But he gave it three days in advance, so we didn't know what it meant. Uh, it's also he would probably be around his own children while they were making a decision to buy the golf cart. So he kind of knew they already bought it. They were going to give it to mom for her birthday. And he wanted to have a little fun with that. And you got to admit, that was pretty cool that she knew. So even when she saw the golf cart and looked shocked, she was more shocked that her husband had talked about it three days earlier. Things like that keep me in it. You know, it's like the, the little twists and turns. And I, I've often said that if I could talk to the spirit world and it was like you and I are talking now, it would kind of take the fun out of it. I kind of like the way they do it. I like the surprises and the twists. And, and I say the darndest things to people sometimes, and I'm thinking it means one thing, and then they tell me what it really means. And it's totally different and funny. So it, it does add humor to it. Is there a reward punishment system for spirits like how we have on earth if a spirit does something good or bad? Does that even exist in the afterlife? I have to admit, I do believe there's control up there because I've often thought about that. If I passed away now and then I wanted to break every rule they have about mediumship and connecting and giving my children messages and stuff like that, if I broke all of the rules up there, what are they going to do to me? They can't handcuff me. They can't put me in jail. What can they possibly do to me? Uh, and then I had someone explain it to me once, uh, or I read it in a book. I forget which way that went. The punishment would be that I would no longer be allowed to be assisted in stepping down to the vibration low enough to connect with this world. That to do it on a mediumship level where a medium can can hear, they have to have help from higher uh, spirits, if you will, it's got to be prearranged, and they're going to come through and give it. But you, there are certain agreements, certain things you can and can't say. And I, I do get that they don't want their world over there completely exposed. I want to ask you why, but I don't want to ask that. And the reason why is because I respect that they don't want their world exposed. I think that the right to privacy exists in all realms. And I think that there's certain things that we're not supposed to know. And I respect that as well. I guess my extremely curious mind is now trying to grasp at that answer, trying to go, why? Why can't we know? In the same way, why can't we know exactly what happens at Area 51? Why can't we know the answers to this? You know, why don't we live in a completely transparent world. It's it, it seems like there has to be control in secrets everywhere. Yeah, but I don't get the one with aliens. If, if they have landed, if there is proof, I don't get the government having the right to hold that from us. I don't either. And, I, you know, I'm sure most people listening have the, the intelligence to know that we're not the only living organisms in the universe. Well, how do aliens fit into the spirit realm? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I really don't. Other than maybe they've got a bigger hand in all of this than we realize, you know? Uh, have you ever connected with a spirit where you thought that it was a different entity, where you thought maybe it was an alien? No, they always 
come across as actual people to me and you know some are very vivid some some i get to see them exactly like they were when they were here and they'll speak to me like you and i are talking others are a little you know more ghostly if you will and a little hard to figure out and um they come in different levels but there's there is still that mystique around it i'm not sure what you know what's really handling all of this other than it's always done for the good of the person having the reading like i said the only bad one i had was when the the mom was starting the reading off disappointed in her daughter and husband for telling her not to get the vaccine and then from there on it would turn into a good reading let's look at reincarnation does a spirit have a limited amount of time in the afterlife excuse me before they have to reincarnate and this kind of goes back to what you were saying where an identity of a spirit fades as time goes by they no longer have to be connected to it it seems like they connect to it for the benefit of connecting to the loved ones still alive on earth um but if we're just looking at reincarnation again we we can leave reincarnation open it's something i believe in i know that there are various beliefs about um if it even if it's real i respect all of them but would you say that there's a limited amount of time in the afterlife before they either have to reincarnate to something on earth in a different realm, or at least transition into a different spiritual dimension? The one thing I've heard that made a lot of sense to me is, you know, why would a spirit, like, why would my mom and dad keep checking up on me and my son and my two daughters? You know, what would their interest be? Well, then when you think about it, mom and dad put a lot of time, energy, and money into their family and did they do things right or not? So they get to see the after product, which is how are we living our lives? Are we living by their morals? Are we living by uh, the, all the things that they taught us to do in a certain way? So they, they're still learning over there, and they're learning from us at times. But I have heard that usually they wait for 100 years, right around 100 years, because by then everything that they touched when they were here is now gone it's either over there with them or you know if it's material stuff then it's no longer here on the earth so it's almost like a fresh start and that way they're moving through another lifetime and i'm sure i believe in soul groups i believe in family groups maybe agreeing to come back and doing it again together i don't understand how that would work but i still don't get how a baby is born either that's you know, seeing the little eyes blinking and the hands moving, and I still don't get all that. So there's a lot I don't, I, I admire, and I, I, I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand how it happens. Does a person's spiritual practice on earth and the practice that they pass on to their loved ones help them prepare for the afterlife, or does it have any influence at all? I mean, we, we just talked about how. They like to look down upon, I guess, you know, the results of what they have had any sort of influence on. So is I, I'm not looking for and I don't think there's a, a true answer to, you know, best practice, such as you must meditate at 8 a.m. every day. But do you think that a stronger um, and more realistic spiritual practice on Earth does help to prepare for that transition? I think it plays a big role in how well we accept it when it is happening. But I think when it happens, and even if it's tragic, I know that, that we're pulled out of our body in advance. We don't feel the automobile crash 
or the plane crash or the gunshot or whatever is taking us out. And in some cases, we don't even remember how we ended up on the other side. All they know is the spirits know that they're over there, they're glad to be there, and they could care less what the mechanism was that took them over there. But there's a lot more to that. I remember um, one thing that I've heard more than once or twice is uh, I'll talk to a person, I'll say, your mom and your dad are together, but they're not holding hands. They've got that little gap between them. It's making me feel like, yeah, they'll come here for the reading, but they really didn't get along when they were here in the body, when they were living their life. And it's amazing how many people say, oh, they hated each other or whatever. And some will tell me mom and dad wouldn't speak to each other. They were total enemies. Why are they together now? It makes me feel like once we drop this body and we drop all the beliefs that we have here on earth, we go up to heaven, you're, you're at least in a, a mindset of, oh, we can both be together to do the reading, to talk to our child. Let's do it. So, and I'll see them together, but others I'll see arm in arm, or I'll see them holding hands or leaning into each other. And I'll know like, wow, your parents really loved each other. And I'll see that role being played out also. It's to me, it, it, it reminds me of when parents get divorced on earth and then they come together to help, you know, with the development of the child, but they can't get along together. Other than that, it, it sounds like there's still spirits who want to be able to help out on earth. And that it sounds like from everything that you and I've talked about in the past and throughout this interview that there is the baseline of coming to you to talk to you for us is love. True. Yes. Love is a very, very powerful thing. Going back to a little bit from what you said, how this, the body's pulled out, I'm sorry, the soul's pulled out before we die. When someone is dying, in the process of dying, how does their fear or comfort level influence or transition into the afterlife? Or does it have any influence at all if we're pulled out before the moment happens? I think you're being pulled out just so you don't have to feel the pain or the destruction of the body or any of that stuff. And I think the way you feel is kind of left back here on earth because once you're going through the tunnel or whatever you happen to experience, that you're as you're doing this, nothing behind you matters at all. It's kind of like getting off a plane and you're in Aruba or vacationing somewhere that you really wanted to go. You really don't care what's behind you or what you did or what work was like. All you care about is get me on the sandy beach. I remember the process of knowing I was going to die in my last life. The the instant Oh wow moment of death i'm not sure if i could accurately pinpoint but i do i do remember um i died drowning i was a fisherman and i was out to sea uh which is why joining the navy and being able to go back out onto the ocean and come back alive was something i had to experience in this life because i didn't do it in the last one so i do remember that pro I don't remember transitioning into the afterlife. I don't remember going through the process of being who I was into the afterlife, but I remember knowing this is how I die. And I remember going through parts of that. Wow. And there was, you know, mixed a, a lot of emotions, you know, with that. But now looking back at it, I don't, I don't have a fear of death. I don't like the idea of being tortured to die obviously i don't want my fingernails ripped out and going through uh, <laughs> know. you know torture 
to die. But when my time comes, my time comes. I'm fully accepting of my, I call it a job reassignment. I'm fully accepting of it. It, it doesn't scare me to leave this realm. A friend of mine calls it a body upgrade when you, when you, pass I love over. it. I love it. <laughs> I mean, cause we don't have any of our shameful things anymore either, right? What is there to be ashamed of? And you know, all the things that we have now and the things that we do to ourselves, the craziness that we put our bodies I through. I mean, what does that, what does that matter when you no longer have the body? It doesn't. Would you, you've shared so many amazing uh, readings what would you say is your most memorable spirit connection? Yeah, I, I've gone public with this one, and it will always be my favorite story, and that would be the Ray Charles story. That was, to me, the the, the most amazing thing. And I got to admit, after that happened, it's like never again would I question whether spirit communication was real or not. So you connected with Ray Charles. You um, were with, I think, because I remember you telling me parts of this, but forgive me if I don't get this right. You had some of his family members come to see you, but they didn't tell you exactly who it was. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it was. I, I received a phone call asking to do an in-house session. person said, we live not far away. We're in Jacksonville. We would like to have an in-house session. And she blocked her number when she called, and she said, and by the way, my sister's on the other line to make sure I don't say anything that I shouldn't. And I said, oh, you're being a little secretive. I said, I'm okay with that. I said, how about, you know, Thursday, 1 o'clock? And they said, okay, fine. I gave him my address, and I thought, I'll never hear from them again. <laughs> you know, that was my feeling. Thank God I was ready on, on Thursday at 1 o'clock when they rolled up for the reading. Anyway, the, um, they sat down in front of me, and off to my right is an empty sofa, and I just happened to look over there and I thought, wait a minute, I let two girls into my house. Now I've got the two girls and a woman sitting on my sofa and I can see her as vividly as I'm looking. Here we go again with the overlay on the, on the vision as vivid as the two girls in front of me. But the only odd thing is she had a black hat on. She was dressed in black and the hat had a, a little veil coming down, you know, in front of her face, but you could see through the veil. I can't even remember the pattern on the veil. That's how clearly I could see this woman. So mentally, I asked her, I said, hi, are you here to talk to the two girls in front of me? And, oh, yes, those are my daughters. And she's speaking to me like a, a normal mom would talk. And she said, I went into the hospital with pneumonia. Things went wrong, and I died in the hospital. So now, I, like with the horse, I had something to compare my information with. I said, you know, did this happen with mom? And they're going, oh, my gosh, yes, yes, yes. So we're moving along with the reading. And the next thing I hear is a voice saying, deep and raspy, hey, Chuck, tell them I'm here. I turn my head, and there's Ray Charles sitting next to the lady. And he's laughing. His head is, like, looking up at the ceiling with his sunshades. And I'm going, oh, my God, that's Ray Charles. And I said, Ray, what are you doing here? He said, tell the girls I'm here. Tell them I'm here. And mentally, so they don't hear me, I said, no, if I tell them, they're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to get up and walk out, and the reading will be over. So I went right back to the mom. I went talking to the two girls back and forth. And finally, the one daughter says, hey, Chuck, there's no one sitting over there on the sofa. Why do you keep looking over there? And I just I looked down, I shook my head, and I said, I'm going to tell you, but please don't think I'm crazy and don't get up and leave. I said, I think what happened here is 
when you go to heaven, if you've got a certain rock star or movie star or whatever that that you've always loved when you were here on the earth, if you go to heaven and they're over there too, apparently you get to talk to them and be with them. But your mother brought someone from heaven with her. And I don't know if this icon would be someone your mother loved his music or loved him, or you loved this guy or saw him at a concert or whatever, but it's Ray Charles, the singer. And they flipped out on me. They were so happy, so excited. Then they told me, well, we're Ray Charles's sisters. And this was like um, only a month or two after the movie Ray came out. So that if, you know, back in time, that's when that happened. And we go through the whole reading. He's giving me private stuff about the family that had never been published. Uh, we talked about him living in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, the beauty was when it was all over, and this is one of the benefits of my job too, you never know who you're going to meet. You never know how something like this is going to go down. But the uh, lady went out to the car and brought in the Ray Charles family photo album. And I got to sit at my snack bar and look at all, like Ray Charles getting his first golden record back in the day. Oh, my God. How amazing. Uh, and Ray Charles at home sitting at the uh, table having Thanksgiving with the two girls and, and the mom. I could see all of that in the uh, photo album. So even that was such a treat. That was just the average person would never get to do that. I I, I can't even imagine how excited you must have been to sit there and just be able to experience something no one else really has. And it was kind of funny how innocent it was where I said, Ray, I'm not going to tell them you're here. They're not going to believe me. And then I'm thinking like, you know, I saw your movie a few weeks ago on DVD, but, and I finally get to meet you, but why does it have to be like this? (laughs) How come it couldn't have been like shaking your hand, you know, and meeting you in a restaurant or something like that. So, (laughs) so when, when you are connecting with someone's loved one, what are some things that the person or the people can do um, to help prepare for their session? And do the spirits have to prepare? I think they're preparing all along. The spirits are all ready for it when it does happen. And I've had some that were rather spontaneous, or I call it on-demand readings, where I'll give people a reading with their loved one and we're out in public and I'm putting groceries in my car or whatever. I just don't expect it. And I'm not one of those to, to want to say, Hey, your, your dog is here. What, you know, I'm not flashy with it. I'd rather not, but sometimes it's so important that the person hear from me that I have to do it that way, you know, and it, it's rare, but when it does happen, it's okay. So anyway, what I, um, one of the biggies is think about your loved one, uh, before the reading, But when you go to the reading, let the medium do all the work. If you sit there and say, hey, come on, Dad, talk about my, tell the medium about my new BMW, talk about my car, talk about the color of it, blah, blah, blah. If you're telling them stuff while I'm trying to communicate, it won't work. It'll shut them down. And a lot of people do that. And if you think, if you happen to think about it, like, gee, Dad, talk about my, I just got a new BMW, you know, and two minutes later, I'm probably going to say, your dad's showing me a BMW logo. Why is that? You know what I mean? It's like, it'll happen, but don't repeat in your head because I've seen that block of reading. And certainly another thing that will, uh, you got to think about when I'm in that state where I'm trying to tune into your loved one or animal, while I'm in that state, I'm hypersensitive. So if you're sitting there thinking like, 
well, he didn't talk about my BMW. He's not very good, blah, 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 blah. I may not know exactly what you're saying, but I'm going to know the feeling. I'm going to pick up on that energy, and it will bring me down. And I try to explain to people, it's like imagine everyone going to the Super Bowl, and the final play is made. They kick the ball, and now they're the winning team. And everyone says, oh, that was good. And they get up and walk away. No one claps. No one yells. No one cheers. It's like, what's the point in going to the game? We need the excitement. We need some enthusiasm. We need involvement from the participants. And that's what you need during a reading. The more you look excited, um, I recommend that people go on my website, chuckbergman.com, and there's an eight-minute sound clip of different people uh, getting readings where you get to hear not only accuracy, but you get to hear the fun that we're having, the laughter, the 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 funny private jokes that will come out, the sincerity of it. And that eight minutes pretty well encompasses all of those people got a good reading because they participated. And I think that's good advice if you're going to do a reading with any medium. I absolutely agree with that. From every session I've had with you, I I know to go in with an open mind. I know to go in quiet, not in the sense of I can't talk, but I, I just need to listen. I'm there. I, I'm there to listen, to let you do what you need to do. And for me to be receptive to anything that's supposed to be coming to me, things I am hoping to hear, things I don't expect, all the above. And I, I think it's really, really important because people will, it, it, when spirit wants to talk, to them through you and they want to say, Hey, you know, what about this or what about that? But they're too concentrated on trying to drive that conversation or the energy within the room. They could miss remembering something that the spirit thinks is profound, but they're not remembering it. Does that make sense? Like they, it they makes need to perfect sense. And I, I'm going to figure out a way to word this later, but we get to talk to them all the time. So they know our thoughts. They can read our thoughts without us speaking. So they know where we're at. We don't know where they're at. Right. We don't know what they're thinking. So you're right. It's our turn to be quiet and let them talk to us. If you look at it that way, that's, I'm going to think of the right way to word that, but I think that's very, very, very important with this stuff. It's time for us to listen and hear what they've got to say. And it may not be what you're expecting at all. And that's fine. I, I think it's always time for us to listen, not just within the spirit realm, but you know, I don't remember who coined this phrase, but we're born with one mouth and two ear and two ears. Do double the listening and half as much talking. And people will tell you everything you need to know, and you don't have to say anything. And I found that to be true with everything. That is true. That is true. And I've noticed that when I'm in that hyper mode too, I I can remember almost everything that was said. There's nothing worse to me. I've had occasionally back in the day. You, you you give all these validations and I'll have them in my head like, wow, that was good. That was good. That was good. And at the end, you'll get the person come out with a derogatory statement like, well, I guess my mom didn't want to say much. But what they're really saying is, well, gee, mom didn't really tell me which job I should get or which right. car I should buy. or And then I'll say, well, no, your mom did say a lot. And then I'll repeat play by play every little validation that they agreed was accurate. It's people aren't doing enough listening between the lines. They're not allowing yeah. for that experience. And it's difficult to control your thoughts while you're in an experience. It, that goes the same for anything. Most of the time we can be 
sitting down and doing one thing and have four different conversations go on in our heads. But for contacting with a loved one and speaking to you, it is really important to try to have that single point of focus, which is you, which is keeping that open mind. To me, just hearing like the one with my mom having the British accent, I didn't, the woman did give me my birthday. She gave me certain things that were very true and very accurate, but none of that mattered to me. What mattered was the British accent. That was it. That was everything. Like when you and I had our first session and you mentioned the red cup in my room at the time, from there, I was hyper-focused. I was, okay, here we go. You know what I mean? I had no other uh, focus of, of direction. And it's those details that can really put us into that moment, that can tune us into what we have to say. Kind of like when you're watching or listening to a great uh, teacher or lecturer, and they say that one profound thing, and you you have to, yeah, you you that's what you are tunnel-visioned into. Yeah, I remember earlier you asked me, like, was there any, like, case or whatever but i've got a minor one that that jumps forward the one that i'll never forget the way it happened and it was it was kind of cute it was a rather small group and i had this a couple together they look like a you know you're a lot younger than me couple and they're sitting there holding hands and everything and watching this whole thing take place and i find out later they had never had a reading before they had never heard about this stuff but to just to show you what it's like to do the work that i do as i'm giving different crazy stuff out there to people I turned my head to the right. The two couple were off to my right. And I looked at them and I started laughing. And this guy was just a little more overweight than I was. So it was okay to say this. And I started laughing. I said, look, you don't look like the kind that would, when you're not here, go home and put on a Superman costume with the cape and everything else. I said, you're a little like me. I said, a little on the large side where probably wouldn't fit very well. But as I turned my head to look at you, you were wearing the Superman costume with the S in the middle of the chest, the colors, everything, and the cape, and even your hair was done up like Superman. And I heard the Superman theme song from the movie as I turned my head to look at you. Tell me why. You know, and I get chills in saying this. He turns himself in his seat, takes his uh, right hand, rolls up his sleeve, and right on his shoulder is the Superman emblem, like in the middle of the chest. He just had it tattooed on his arm because his daughter, who was going to college, was coming home one after, you know, when he uh, Friday night and didn't make it home. The police knocked on the door and said she had died in a car accident. But on her phone, dad was Superman and his ringtone was the Superman theme song. And she always called him Superman because he was that kind of a dad. And if you think you can talk to people in front of a group like that and not start crying, that is the hardest thing in the world when you start feeling the love, feeling the pain, and then you're getting messages from her to dad. And to me, that was such a remarkable message and the way it played out. And he must have freaked out when I said, I see you in a Superman costume. <laughs> and then he rolled up his sleeve. Everyone in the room is like, <gasps> like gasping, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, it's, it sounds so Hollywood, but it's not. It's real. It's real, real life. And it's, it was definitely his daughter coming through. And what a way to show that I, so she didn't have to say, oh, dad, you're putting in a swimming pool or, oh, dad, you're, you know, <laughs> it's not about, achievements here as much as the love between the two of you. 
how would you summarize the experience on earth and the experience in the afterlife? And I want to, I want to kind of tie this into another question I had for you, which is you have a shirt that says it's simple, be kind. Would you say that that's what this experience on earth is all about? It is because the kindness not only helps the person that you're being kind to, but it helps you as well. And it's a good feeling when you're able to be kind to someone, even if they're doing something that didn't rate kindness, where you say, wow, you're, you're in a bad place right now, and we need to bring that energy down you know, to a more happy level. Let's do it. And, and you're able to either talk to them or come up with a way to, to turn everything around. I don't like apologies to people because I think then that gives them more power and it pushes them back up into their their little perch so they're looking down at you and everything. But there are different ways you can handle stuff. And sometimes I look at that as even a challenge. Like just see if you can – and maybe I'm getting advice from above when I'm doing stuff like that where I'm saying the right thing where you take something that they think like fighting over a parking space or something. I refuse to – like get down to that level, even you know, you want the parking space, take it. I'll I'll find another one, or I'll I'll come up I will come up with something so silly that they'll end up laughing about it, and neither one of us will take it at that point. <laughs> so you know what I mean? It's like I don't get down into that kind of level. I, I refuse. Oh, I see so many YouTubes, people driving, and and there's a lot of cars out there. My gosh, they're coming on and off the highway, and people are driving and documenting it and overreacting because someone so-called pulled out in front of them where they're doing what you're doing. They're trying to get from point A to point B and it's crowded out there. You got to expect it once in a while. I'm not accepting rude driving and cutting people off and putting them in danger. But some of the ones I've seen, I look at it on their motorcycles, especially it's like you owe me and I've got the right of way. I'm not going to even back off on the gas. You know, it's, I look at it and I go, some of these people, I'd like to just sit down and talk with them for a while. What are you doing? Well, Pima, Pima Shodron, a uh, world-renowned Buddhist monk, has a really wonderful phrase that she says, and it's just like me. And I did a podcast episode about this. And what you do is you say, just like me, when you find yourself in these types of situations. So it kind of broadens the perspective of what's going on. So for instance, someone cut you off in traffic, they're speeding. They're probably late for work or they're late for a job interview that's going to change their life, just like me. Somebody was rude to you on the phone as a customer service representative. You have also worked really long hours and had to sacrifice time with your family while dealing with rude people all day, just like me. And that's what she does. She uses just like me with the perspective of the situation going on. And it's really been life-changing for me because it, it reminds me that even though I may be frustrated and just like how you and I were talking before we started our recording, I just had a situation come up where documents weren't received in time for my school. Um, and I'm concerned that it's going to prevent me from starting classes soon. And I've got to remember that People make mistakes. I'm not the only one enrolled in this school and paperwork can yeah. get lost. And I have a very busy schedule. All of us can easily forget to do one thing, just like me. It puts you back into the Carl Sagan primordial soup that we all swim in. 
and kind of makes those little trivial things like fighting over a parking space less important. And it goes back to your shirt. Be kind. You're making me laugh because I remember one night in particular, my son and I, we were out on the boat and it was kind of late at night and we're pulling in and it's dark. And at the boat ramp, there were three different ramps where people could come up, which is pretty cool. But for some reason, both people wanted the same far end third ramp. And one guy's arguing that he was here before the other guy, you know, and it got to the point where he's pushing the boat out and then the wives are getting involved and everyone's fighting over who's going to pull their boat out of the water first. Meanwhile, the other guy had already backed the trailer into the water to put boat number A on the trailer <laughs> and the guy wouldn't let him. And the funny, and you could tell they'd been drinking, you know, it was over a weekend and everything. And I was showing my son, I said, let's just sit here and watch what, how this develops because they're not acting rationally because they've all had a few drinks. And then you get the wives involved and then you get the husbands who don't want to back down in front of the wife and then the wives who are stirring it up even more. And then the men are getting ready to punch each other out. And it was just kind of amazing to watch the whole thing. And I, like I told him, I said, see, the whole time we spent watching that, we could have had our boat out of the water in ramp number one, and we could have already been getting a hamburger or something on the way home. I said, but it was more of a lesson to see if that were you or I, I would have just said, I'll push my boat out. I'll do circles. You get yours out of the water and then I'll get mine out. What are we talking? Five minutes. But it's it's amazing to watch what people, uh, their attitudes and the way they work with each other. And a little kindness there would have made all the difference in the world. If I had had that shirt on and paraded back and forth in front of them, maybe they would have thrown me off the dock. I don't know. Well, if they were drinking, they may have, yeah, they may have not looked at that. Yeah, I think they would have, yeah. <laughs> They were pretty big dudes. I didn't really want to mess with them. So, but we still, he'll still talk about that once in a while. Hey, remember those people at the dock, you know, and he'll talk about it. Is there a message that you would like to share with everyone about the afterlife? Yeah, I think that the best message is focus on what you're doing here before you go to the afterlife. This is the point where it's almost like you're in the grocery store picking out your groceries and what are you going to have to eat for the week? The things we do now are going to affect the way we are when we go to the spirit life because everyone over there knows everything about you. It's like a telephone download of all the information in an iPhone where everyone knows everyone. And I think that's your hell. If you were here and you were like the people on the dock and that's a, I mean, if that's a one-time thing, that's okay. But if it's an ongoing thing where you're always muscling people around and being bad, when you go to the other side, they're aware of that. And that's the way you've got to exist over there with all the other spirits. It's an easy thing and not an easy thing at the same time to remember that how you conduct yourself on a daily basis is also important in the grand scheme of things. And after you leave the body, I, I get it because feelings are hard to control. We get frustrated. We want to outlash. We want to cry. We want to sometimes hurt other people, but doing the right things and doing the right things right is so important because your sphere of influence ranges farther than you'd ever know. Being kind to one person who needs it means the world to that one person who needs it. And then they can be kind to someone else. And you just doing that to a few people 
means that you've probably reached the world because you have passed on something. And the same thing applies for when you're mean or when you're frustrated or when you're saying things you don't mean. And just like you said, a one-time thing or who who isn't guilty of telling somebody to go fuck off. I'm absolutely guilty of it. And it it really just, like you said, what matters is the development after that. Where do you take yourself? How do you progress? And how how do you plan to live your life? Are you are you kind? Are you one of the people that overreact, parking ticket, or on a boat? Or are you someone that moves out of the way and lets the situation dissipate? Because if we want to look at this as one one way to look at it as if the end goal is the afterlife and we're able to have our painted Eden, our paradise, then hell, start painting now. Create now. Create do the now. good. I love that. Yeah. Do the work now. Don't be on your deathbed saying, I wish I was kinder. Don't be 80 years old and wish I was kinder. Well, you can. Absolutely. You can be 80 years old and say, I wish I was kinder and start making improvements from that moment. Nothing wrong with that. But if you start doing that work now, that makes a difference to the world. And we all know this world needs to be a better place. That's so well put. And there's one more element to that. I do believe, I know when I'm out in public and I'm shopping or whatever, and I go by other people, especially if I say hello to them or any little connection at all, it's like, I know who they are. I know good, bad. I already know. I already know if I like this person or not, like, go ahead and just say hello, but get out of here, you know, or whatever. Um, Just quickly, I remember when we first moved to Florida and my uh, niece, um, I was over at her house and her boyfriend was there who happened to be a, a police officer. And he said, uh, you know, uh, your niece told me uh, what you do for a living. I, I find that very inter- interesting. He said, I was wondering if we could sit and talk one day because we have a person. Uh, we've never had an unsolved murder in our community. We've only had very few and only one that's unsolved. And I, I and I just shaken the guy's hand and I said, yeah, and his, his, her husband murdered her, made it look like she ran away when she didn't, and he's killed before. And he said that he was suspect in one other open case they had 20 years earlier where he worked for this lady and she ended up deceased. So it was amazing how that quickly I was able to tune into him and tell him about the case he had been spending months working on, you know, with this uh, lady. And I helped out with it and everything. And unfortunately, there was very little police cooperation because that'll happen. When it happens, all you can do is back off. Right. But even though he was on the police department, they thought he was wrong in in going to a psychic and kind of got him in a bad light with the department. But sad part is I already knew. And there was one one more element to that that I, I think you might find fascinating, too, is as we I had agreed, we went with the detectives. This is another community. I'd never been in this community before. As we're going down a long dirt road, probably a two or three mile dirt road, at one point I said, stop the vehicle. We were in a big SUV. I said, back up, back up. I said, pull into this driveway. And it was just a driveway with a mailbox at the end of it. And the, the, the guy driving said, oh, my God, I've got goosebumps. 
And I said, why? And he said, remember I told you that we had one other case that was unsolved and this uh, missing lady's husband used to work for her and she, you know, we don't know how she died or anything. And this is her home. This is where she used to live. And we went, and, and that was odd to go by a driveway like that. I'd say, whoa, back up, back up. I want to go to this property, but I don't know why until I get in there. And then when he told me that's where she used to live, he had his notepad out and I went through the whole murder and he knew that all of it was accurate, how she was murdered, where they found the body, everything just flowed right out. But my point is, I think subconsciously we do that around everyone we meet. We know a lot more about them than what we are consciously aware of or able to put our finger on. It's on the idea of saying, oh, I just met this guy and I had an, a murky feeling. And then you see him on the six o'clock news for bad stuff. It's that type of a deal. So my point is clean up your life now and do the best you can do. Not only will you end up with a better life, but it's going to make it better when you're on the other side. Perfectly put. I couldn't agree anymore. So Chuck, this has been one of my favorite conversations with you, but I could say that about every conversation I've had with you. So it's been just incredible. I'm so grateful that you came on to my podcast. I'm super grateful that the listening audience has a chance to hear you, to understand uh, a little bit more about the afterlife. And I, I really hope that everyone gets something amazing out of it. I'm sure that they will. There's no doubt in my mind. I know how to contact you, but how does everyone listening contact you? Well, the best way is I've written two books and the autobiography is called The Psychic Cop. And that, it was named that because one day I was riding in, or driving around in the cruiser at five o'clock in the morning. And again, the voice came in and said, you will be known as the psychic cop. And I'm going, what is the psychic cop? What is all that? And I wasn't into this at all. But wouldn't you know, within two weeks, I'm shaking hands with James Van Prague. Things are happening. It was just like a whirlwind of of psychic stuff happening around me. And uh, the voice was absolutely correct. So if you put in the psychic cop, it'll bring up my book and then my name, which is Chuck Bergman. And if you put that in, you're pretty well going to get it anyway. And if you put medium or psychic, you know, somewhere in that uh, search, my name will come up. But it's chuckbergman.com. And I highly recommend you play back a couple of the videos on there. And for any people that are uh, military connected, there's a real good one where I'm in studio and a caller calls in and his son was uh, killed over in Afghanistan. And I knew nothing, but I went through the whole, the whole process of how he died and all the wonderful stuff dad has done in honor of his son. In fact, he, on the phone even said that he was able to approach uh, Obama, President Obama, and shake him. He says, why didn't you help my son? Why didn't you help my son? And Secret Service were all over this old timer, you know? So, but it's quite a, quite a listen when you hear the dad talking about it. But it's also, it goes to show you how I went into the studio that night to do on-air readings, had no idea that I'd be doing a reading like that. How does someone... Uh, book a phone uh, phone session with you to connect to their loved one? It's real easy. Um, there's a booking calendar where you, and I've got two different places on the front page to let you know. It says, you know, book a reading here, and then it takes you to the page to explain it. But it's also got an easy calendar where it brings up 
the available dates and times and it's all computer from there and i love it it you know i get an email a text message everything is automated once you uh book your reading pick your date pick your time as long as it's available chuck is on point he is prompt he will call you right at the time that you selected and it's going to be absolutely worth your while chuck i love you and every conversation that we've had really i i feel brings me um a little bit closer and deeper into a realm that i'm fascinated by and you're such the expert but an amazing friend an amazing listener i always cherish our conversations and our friendship. And again, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Oh, it's been my pleasure, wifey. And I'll, uh, I'll definitely tune into some of the podcasts. I know if you're talking about different topics that it'll be stuff I'll truly enjoy listening to. And I bet you have one heck of an audience base out there who who's listening in as well. And what I'd like to do is once uh, you get this one ready for the podcast, I'll put a link to it on my website with a little clip on it for people to tune in to hear it and maybe then get also involved in your the work that you're doing because I know it's going to be good. I'm going to have this episode out in October. I feel that October being such a heightened time for spiritual activity, especially around Halloween, that this episode <laughs> would be perfect to have out around that time. So everyone in the normal closing of my show, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow me on Twitter at MindChicken, Instagram at ChickenMindNuggets, or leave a review on iTunes. Listen to anywhere you listen to podcasts or visit chickenmynuggets.com. Chuck, it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. Thank you for everything.